I want to call your attention now to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. And we want to consider verse 4. Matthew 5, verse 4. It says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And may God bless the reading of this simple verse to our hearts. <clears throat> we began to consider these Beatitudes, as they're called, these short Statements by our Lord at the opening of this great sermon on the mount, last Lord's Day. These statements begin with the words, blessed are. And it is difficult, perhaps, for us to imagine the shock and surprise on the part of Christ's audience that day on that mountaintop in Galilee as they heard these words from his mouth. We are familiar with the sound of these things. They were not, at least perhaps a few Old Testament passages might be similar, but what Jesus said and the authority with which he said it was utterly astounding to them. They were amazed at it. Jesus is making these opening statements in this Sermon on the Mount telling who is happy. Who is happy or who is blessed. And the word blessed means happy, joyful, perhaps an even better synonym would be fortunate. Fortunate are. As we mentioned last Lord's Day, biblical blessedness is not so much an emotion that one feels as a state in which one is. We think of happiness as a, a passing feeling, but blessedness is more of a gift that is bestowed. The Lord is saying, fortunate are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And fortunate are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted, and so on. This text before us today is perhaps the most paradoxical of these beatitudes spoken by our Lord in this section. Those who mourn are happy. Those who mourn are fortunate. 
we might capture the, the impact on the hearers that day by putting it this way. Happy are the sad. Happy are the sad. The mourning spoken of here is a passionate lamentation that is public and that cannot be hidden. It is that which would occur on the death of a loved one. Mourning, grief, sorrow. And our Lord says, those who mourn are the ones who are truly happy. So let us, by God's grace, make sure that we understand what he means here and what he's talking about and that we not only understand it in our minds but that we enter into this deep joy and blessedness and good fortune. As I said, some Old Testament passages are similar to this We read, for example, in Psalm 126, verse 5, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And that's somewhat of an Old Testament parallel. On another occasion, the Lord, using evidently some of the same material in another occasion that he used here, said in Luke 6:21 blessed are ye that weep now for ye shall laugh by the way if if Jesus used the same material uh, in one sermon as in another on another occasion there's nothing wrong with some of us doing that thank the lord <clears throat> Now, let us consider, just as with verse 3, here in verse 4, this declaration runs counter to our natural thought. We don't naturally think and say, happy are the sad, happy are the mourners. No. Obviously, one who is mourning is not happy is not joyful. The way we naturally think is the happy person is the one who's always laughing, always smiling, always joking and using humor. We think of a happy person as one that we never see crying. We never see mourning and sad. And of course, our whole inclination naturally and the whole push of our society as a whole is that we should always be happy. That sadness is bad. Happiness is good. And so whatever it takes to make you happy is justifiable. Anything that will make you forget your problems, forget your troubles, is legitimate. 
Entertain yourself. Smile. Laugh. Party. <laughs> In ages past, kings and noblemen hired what, is, what they called a jester. And the jester was a clown, a joker, who would come in their presence, in their house, or in their court, and would entertain them and say silly things and do silly, frivolous things to distract that nobleman from the cares of this life and the the weight of, of responsibility for his kingdom and so on. Well, today, the common man has his jesters who are free, comedians and entertainers, to keep people from ever having deep thoughts, which in a fallen, cursed world will inevitably lead to sorrow. And so people figure out how to live their whole life only in the realm of the superficial. Never grappling with the the profound realities of time and eternity and life before a holy God as a sinner. In fact, any mention of sin that tends to produce feelings of guilt and shame is utterly unwelcome and avoided at all cost. It's considered an interruption to happiness, not that which will tend in the long run to produce happiness. Talking about sin is considered impolite, And insulting. And it evokes reactions of anger and rejection and even persecution. And so the Lord's teaching here runs very much counter to our natural way of thinking. But moving on, our Lord is speaking here of a particular kind of mourning or sorrow, sadness. He's not talking about just any kind of mourning. He's not talking about natural mourning. For example, I mentioned that this word is sometimes used to describe the grief over the death of a loved one. Well, perhaps there's no greater grief and mourning than that. And I see that on a constant basis in the work that I do. But the Lord isn't simply saying, Blessed are all those that mourn the death of a loved one, for they shall be comforted. That's obviously not true. Not everyone who mourns the death of a loved one is blessed in the sense that Jesus is talking about here. Even animals appear to grieve sometimes when one of their 
fellow animals or offspring is, is lost. The Lord isn't talking about natural grief. He isn't talking about the kind of mourning that occurs over human suffering and the human condition in general or even specific instances of it besides the death of a loved one. Perhaps someone has a tragedy occur and earthly comforts are removed. Earthly pleasures uh, dry up. Plans are interrupted. And there's sadness and mourning over the difficult times. An economic collapse occurs and people are crying over the loss of their wealth and so on. But not all who mourn over the loss of their wealth are happy and blessed in the sense that Jesus is talking about here. So that's not what he has in view. There are even those who mourn a sinful mourning. A good example of that is Ahab in the Old Testament when Naboth refuses to sell him his vineyard. Ahab goes into mourning and grief. But he's far from the blessed man. He's mourning because he didn't get his selfish, sinful will and way. Furthermore, some naturally express their emotions more than others. Everybody's wired a little bit differently in that way. Some are more given to tears than others. They can lose a ball game and go into tears. They can hear a sad story or read a sad novel and are mourning over it for a time. And some are just born more with that kind of temperament than others. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. And I think we have to even say this. He's not necessarily talking about those who mourn over eternal punishment and the prospect of eternal punishment. There's a kind of mourning of the rich man in hell that is not what Jesus is talking about here. Those in this life who may mourn over the prospect of the lake of fire sometimes are just thinking of the difficulty of, of the physical component there. And I know this is a very fine distinction here, but as we said in the previous hour, are we mourning over the consequences of sin or over sin itself? And that's a very vital distinction well all of this kind of mourning can be explained naturally no one likes pain and suffering but Jesus is talking about a mourning that can only be explained supernaturally or spiritually 
Same way with the poverty of spirit in verse 3. It's a spiritual poverty that he's talking about. And here he's talking about a spiritual mourning. Mourning over spiritual things. What we might call gospel sorrow. And again, this overlaps so much with what we saw in the previous hour on the doctrine of repentance. It is a a gospel mourning. It's a deep sense of grief and misery because of sin. Because of the inward pollution of our own sin. Knowing that we have offended a holy God. And that there is a distance between us and Him because of our sin. And the fellowship with Him has been broken. And we are rightly deserving of eternal punishment because of our sin. It's mourning over that that Jesus is talking about here. More specifically, we should be mourning over our own sins as well as our own sin. You notice the the plural and the singular. We mourn specific individual actions, deeds, words, thoughts, motives, Sins in the plural. We should be mourning over sins of omission. Failing to do and failing to be all that God is worthy of with regard to us. And we also mourn over sin singular. Our whole sinful state. Our whole being in Adam. Altogether. We are full of sin and we are full of sins. Are we mourning over this? Do you mourn over this? Have you seen yourself in all of your filthy corruption as God sees you? If our sin could somehow be given a physical form that we could look at the sight of it would sicken us it would be the most hideous ugly unbearable sight that you would not be able to get over you wouldn't be able to look away and erase it from your thoughts it would Smell worse than a rotting corpse. That's what our sin is and what our sins are. And if we understood them as we should, oh, how much more we would mourn over our sins. If we saw them as God sees them, if we understood the insult and offense that our sin is to him, How we would mourn. We should also mourn over the sins of others. 
After all, I'm not the only sinner. Everyone else is too. The psalmist says, rivers of waters run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. The psalmist looked around and he saw a whole world given to sin, a whole world given to, in his case, a a nation in particular, a very fortunate nation in many ways. The Old Testament nation of Israel so steeped in idolatry, rebellion, wickedness. The Old Testament prophets wept over the national sins of the people. Look at Moses. He's up there with God in the most privileged position that a man could be on this earth, this side of heaven, meeting with God. And down at the foot of Mount Sinai, here's a nation in idolatry and debauchery. And when he comes down from the mountain and and discovers it, he mourns and grieves. Well, he's angry at first, and he throws down the the tablets of stone. Then he begins to plead with God that God would not destroy the people, and he's so grieved over it. And we see that scene happening again and again. How many times over throughout uh, the, the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers. Oh, how the sins of Israel grieved the heart of Moses. We see it in the prophet Jeremiah, who is called the weeping prophet. He wrote the whole little book called the Lamentations. He says, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. Mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears. In the New Testament, Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, shed tears as he thought of the sins of a lost world around him. Listen to what he says to the Philippians. Many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. He says, even as I'm writing this letter or perhaps dictating it to one who is actually putting it on In print, he says, I'm weeping at the thought of those who are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. They're living for their carnal lusts and passions, whose glory is in their shame and who mind earthly things. Their mind is devoted and given to nothing but this earth, this world. Does The thought of a world given over to sin against God grieve you deeply? Does your own sin make you mourn? And does the sin of others make you mourn? If it does, then here is the blessing that is promised. Comfort. Blessed are they that mourn For they shall be comforted. And he's talking here not about carnal comfort, but about spiritual comfort. He's talking about gospel comfort, not just secular comfort. 
He, is, he, he doesn't say, blessed are they that mourn because, well, time will heal the wounds and there will surely be better days ahead than these. That, my friends, is the comfort that an atheist may have. And they talk that way. Well, time is a healer. Well, perhaps it is in some ways, and that's, that's a blessing of the common grace of God. But that's not the comfort that Jesus is talking about here. And maybe there will be better days ahead. Maybe there won't be. But that's not the comfort that he's talking about here. He's talking about spiritual mourning over sin, spiritual comfort being delivered from sin. And notice the future tense. They shall be (coughs) comforted. Comfort follows the sorrow and the grief and the conviction over sin. So when does this comfort come? Well, let me mention three time frames. Number one, it comes at conversion. When the soul turns from sin, repents of sin, and comes to Christ, comfort begins. There's inward peace and joy. That sorrow and grief gives way to peace and happiness that is truly profound, a a deep joy, knowing that you're reconciled to God now, and the distance that sin created has been covered by the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. And the word comfort here is the verb form of the word that is used as a name for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The comfort here is the Holy Spirit's comfort. He calls us to his side consoles us, encourages us, strengthens us, comforts us with gospel comfort. Thank God for the comfort that comes when you first trust in Christ. Make sure that you have that comfort today and that you are trusting in Christ and that he is the source of your comfort That he is the source of your joy. That it's not simply comfort and joy from temporal circumstances that have improved over what they previously were. That's comfort that an unbeliever may have. Things were going bad. The economy collapsed, the the Great Depression came, but, you know, slowly, little by little, we dug out of it, and so we're comforted now. has nothing to do with peace with God through Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit as our comforter. There's also the comfort that comes as we live the Christian life. It comes initially at conversion, but it goes on and on after conversion. The Christian life is a life of comfort in which the indwelling spirit continues 
to abide in us and aid us so that the life that we live with him and with God is a happy life Regardless of outward circumstances, it is a truly fortunate life that we live. The religion of Jesus Christ is not a sad, morbid religion. Yes, there is sorrow, and we don't deny that. But as Paul says to the Corinthians, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. As long as we are living on this cursed earth and in these cursed bodies, in this flesh, there will be a mixture of mourning and comfort, sorrow and blessing. But by the grace of God, the comfort and the joy is dominant. It is that which is more pronounced. As sorrowful yet always rejoicing. The sorrow comes and goes. The rejoicing is always present. It is what is dominant, Paul says. We're not denying that the Christian has griefs and sorrows and difficulties. We're not giving some kind of prosperity message in that way. But it is in the face of all of the tragedies and heartbreaks and difficulties of this life, the comfort, and the joy, the happiness remains steady. Always rejoicing. The third time frame is the glorified state. Heaven. In which there will be no more mourning at all. Nothing but comfort. As we read in the book of Revelation. Here is the the heavenly city described And it includes this, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That means no more mourning. No more sorrow. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Heaven is a world where there's no crying, no mourning. It is a world of pure comfort, blessedness, good fortune. And many old writers have said something like this. The present morning makes the comfort of heaven all the more sweet. Who will enjoy the comfort of heaven most? No doubt those who have mourned the most in this life. The more bitter the morning the sweeter the comfort when it comes. And in realms of glory, we will have an increased capacity for comfort beyond anything that we presently know. 
One old writer, William Jenkin, says this, Sin brought in tears, and tears shall go away with sin. Think of that. Yes, if sin hadn't come, there wouldn't be anything to mourn. There wouldn't be any death, there wouldn't be any spiritual death and alienation from God and loss of fellowship with Him. Sin has brought in these tears, and when sin is removed, the tears will no longer have any occasion to exist. God will wipe away all tears from our eyes. Heavenly comfort. Thank the Lord. Now, this is what he's promised to those who mourn with the mourning that he's talking about here. Let me just mention in a parenthetic way how the Lord Jesus himself exemplified this beatitude. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. In all our affliction, he was afflicted, the prophet Isaiah says. He had no sins of his own to mourn over, but he certainly mourned over yours and mine. It is surely significant that we never see him laughing in the accounts given by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I don't think that we are to gather from that that he never laughed, but it was not significant enough for it to be recorded in Holy Scripture. That's not the way we are to remember him and think of him I think we could argue that if he had had a, an unhappy and a morbid disposition, that the little children would not have come flocking to him and felt at home with him as they did. But what is recorded is scene after scene of his tears, his mourning. At the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. Over Jerusalem, he wept. In Gethsemane, when the weight of our sin was put upon him and he became our sin bearer, there was strong crying and tears. But oh, the comfort into which he entered. Oh, the joy as he rose from the dead, victorious conqueror, and there's the joy that was set before him, as Hebrews 12 says. And you remember the place in Matthew 25 where Jesus says that he will say to those who are his people, enter into the joy of thy Lord. He entered into joy, and he shares that joy and that that comfort and that happiness with you, child of God. Now, as I said last Lord's Day in verse 3, there is something implied that is not stated 
in these Beatitudes that connects the first clause with the second. Blessed are they that mourn. The one who mourns over his sin repents of it, turns away from it, and comes to the Savior of sinners. And in him finds righteousness in the sight of God. Forgiveness of sin. He comes to the Savior and there is this inward revolution. And because of coming to peace with God through Christ, the comfort comes. That's what we are to supply, as it were, between blessed are they that mourn and they shall be comforted. Without this turning from sin, no comfort comes. The words of the prophet Isaiah capture this this experience in these words. The Messiah comes to comfort all that mourn. The comforting is through Christ, in other words. He comes to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In other words, this beatitude has to be understood in the context of the gospel and of regeneration, repentance and faith in Christ. So, as we make some application of this today, let me just ask you this. Are you a mourner? Do you know what it is to mourn? Or do you deny your sin and say, I didn't really do that. I'm not really that bad. And avoid the mourning. Do you minimize your sin so that you can bypass mourning and find quick, easy comfort? That is a denial of what Jesus is telling us here. And I'm afraid that there are multitudes today who have some comfort and assurance of salvation who have never mourned. And they were just deceived by a presentation of decisionism and pray this prayer and all is well and easy believeism. And their assurance and comfort is deadly presumption. Beloved, let us beware of a comfort which bypasses conviction of sin. That's my point here today. Blessed are they that mourn, for they and they only shall be comforted. 
Christ brings real comfort only to those who have known real misery. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the only way to be happy in Christ is to be desperately unhappy without him. And those who are artificially happy have only artificial comfort. Let me say this to believers. We still mourn in many ways. We mourn over remaining sin that is in us and within us. And we mourn over the sin that surrounds us and is around us and the contempt for God that is evident everywhere in this world. We mourn over the, the sad state <clears throat> of God's institutions of the family and the government and the church. And we see these institutions in such sad condition. And yet, at the same time, we are always rejoicing. And we know the comfort inwardly and personally through Christ. Thank the Lord. Let, let us not imagine that we reach a point where there's no more mourning this side of heaven. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion, the prophet says, and yet let us not fail to enter into the comfort and to enjoy the peace and the hope that the gospel gives us. So my question is, are you a mourner? Do you know what it is to mourn over your sin? In your sin, you ought to mourn because in your sin you have no hope. You're utterly desperate. You have every reason to mourn. If you've not mourned, mourn now. See what you are in God's sight in Adam and in your own self. And as old Thomas Watson says, tears cannot be put to a better use than to mourn over sin. And it, you may not have literal tears. As I said, everyone is, has a different temperament in those things. But there ought to be the, the inward Grief and sorrow over sin. And I'll close with the warning that Jesus gives to those who do not mourn. This again is in Luke chapter 6 in that other sermon. Listen to what he says. Woe unto you that laugh now. For ye shall mourn and weep. Everyone's going to mourn sooner or later. Better to mourn now and be comforted 
than to laugh now and to mourn forever. Jesus described the lake of fire as weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth forever. Weeping, evidence of sorrow. Wailing, evidence of grief. Gnashing of teeth, evidence of pain. Sorrow, grief, and pain for those who don't mourn over their sin now. So let us see our need of a Savior and come to Him. If you have come to Him, renew your faith in Him today. Renew the mourning over sin and the discovery of comfort in Christ and in His gospel. And enjoy this promised Forgiveness and cleansing and peace and the anticipation of heaven to come. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted.